Hi, everybody. Peter Diamandis here with my coach, my buddy, my co-host on Exponential Wisdom, Dan Sullivan. Dan, today, you know, one of the subjects, we're both educators. We both teach through Coach for Yourself, through Abundance 360 and Singularity University for myself. And we think a lot about education. I know I have two 11-year-old boys, fraternal twins, that are going to be entering sixth grade. And I think about the education that they're getting and the education that they need to get. And I can say without question, I am woefully unimpressed by the educational system, more like depressed by the educational system out there. Hmm. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the problem is the word system. There is no educational system. Okay. There's lots of educational systems. Just take the U.S. as an example. I bet there's 10,000 educational systems that are more or less self-created, and they get certain guidance and they get certain funding and certain regulation from the jurisdictions that they're in. But actually, there's great ones and there's crappy ones within miles of each other. Okay, so my sense is that you have good schools that have good superintendents or they have good principals and they have good teachers. And then you've got other ones where both of that is lacking. And in all cases in education at the primary and secondary level, parents are taking more and more responsibility for what their children are being taught. Mm-hmm. COVID did two things. One is an enormous number of children discovered what their parents did for a living. <laughs> and the other one is a lot of parents discovered what their kids are being taught at school. Yeah. A few different thoughts here. One is our educational system today is still rooted in what worked 200 years ago, right? It's the we take summers off so that the kids can go and help with the uh, harvest. <laughs> I told my kids that, and they, they were like, you're not going to cancel summer, Dad, are you? You're not a farmer. And then, you know, the idea that there's the bell, and it rings, and the kids move to the next part of the factory. And the fact that it's the sage on the stage, where it's one person teaching to a room of 30, 50 kids, half the kids are lost, half the kids are bored. But the thing that really slays me about the educational system is it's teaching to the test and it's teaching not driven by anything other than what government bureaucrats say needs to happen for you to get your diploma. And it's trying to teach everybody to the same set of standards, independent of what their passions are and their abilities are. Yeah. Well, let's each of us do a personal comparison, our own experience, because my primary and secondary was in the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah. Yours was in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. 70s. Yeah. Looking back, I'm very, very happy with the education I got in 1 to 12. We didn't have kindergarten. You know, it was a Catholic school, so it was 1 to 12. You know, I have a lot of appreciation for the nuns and priests. It was mostly nuns and priests. We had one woman who was in her 20s who was my third grade teacher, and I fell in love with her, and it was one of my first instances of a broken heart because the love wasn't reciprocated. But (laughs) in terms of what I, reading, writing, and arithmetic, I got it. That's not even true today. They're not getting reading. They're not getting arithmetic. They're not getting writing skills. Okay. I mean, you're a really good writer, you know, and... 
I'm a really good writer in the sense that we can base our living on our writing. We're both voracious readers. Yes. And they estimate now that 50 to 60 percent of the adult population in the United States does not read or write above a sixth grade level. But that's sixth grade today. That's not sixth grade when you and I were going to school. Uh-huh. How was your primary? You know, uh, listen, I think my primary education was fine. I didn't know any better. And did it prepare me? Yes. It got me the basics, but I was very much a conformer as a kid, right? I was going to make my parents happy. I was going to do the things that I had to do. But what I realized in retrospect in sort of the senior, the last few years of high school and definitely at MIT as an undergrad, everything I learned that has been valuable to me was learned outside of school. Mm-hmm. It was how to organize people, how to pitch your ideas, how to get on stage, how to, you know, raise capital. It was all of those things, the lessons of life that as an entrepreneur, I find extremely valuable, didn't happen through schooling. In fact, I tell people today, you know, forget about going and spending a ridiculous amount of money getting an MBA. Find somebody that you want to emulate and go work for them for free and watch them and learn from them, right? Go through a internship, fellowship, but that's where you're going to really learn. My assessment is that you turned out really well. Well, thanks. I made my parents happy too, but, you know, that's besides the fact. But I don't, how do I put this? There's a number of different elements, and the educational system in the 50s, 60s, 70s prepared people for the world in the 70s, 80s, 90s, The world that we're intercepting in the next decade, right, where I don't think people understand the speed at which the world is going to change in the next few years as AI comes online, where everything is intelligent, you're speaking to everything, you can have rather intelligent conversations, and, you know, an AI is your co-pilot on every profession, and it's how to navigate that exponential world. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be learning about this in high school, not waiting for college. I also think, and you said this in a previous podcast episode, that college might likely go away. And it's going to be learning for passion-driven roles what you need to know, especially when AI is there to fill in I mean, learning how to do a differential equation or how to simplify a complex equation. I mean, when's the last time you use that? Technology is going to do that for you. It's like what you need to understand is the big picture and what you're trying to really solve for and how to organize the right people and what resources to bring to bear. And these are the things we're not teaching. Yeah. Well, who's we, by the way? We is the existing educational system. (laughs) (laughs) But you're trashing. Listen, I am clear there are two things I want to decimate, destroy, and rebuild. That's educational system and the healthcare system. All due respect for teachers, underpaid, work hard. I wouldn't destroy them. I would just create alternatives. Yeah, well, what I mean is, you know, uh, bypasses. bypasses, Here's an interesting, and I took a interest that there was a deal that got broken in 2008 to 2009. And just to bring an up-to-date statistic, in both Toronto and in Chicago, which are our two main centers, and I go back and forth, I get taxed in both systems. <laughs> so I take an interest. If you're a high school graduate this year and you take a six-week welding course, at the end of the first year, you're making 60000 
Okay. At the end of four years, you're making a hundred thousand. I mean, if you're someone who proficient, yeah, improves themselves, and you know, you get a a good track record and works it. A college student during that four years is likely to be rated in the low poverty session as an individual. I'm not talking about the help they get from parents or anything else. They will not have any income at all, even working summers or working extra work. And so my sense is that what we need a lot more is useful skills. And my feeling is that the best skills are going to be something the human does uniquely well and is in teamwork with robotics and AI, Mm -hmm. that that's where everything is heading. And it's not the school system that is going to have any impact on this at all. It's going to be employers. Yeah. I fully agree. I mean, I I remember when Elon Musk went out and he was doing a hackathon to get programmers at Tesla. And he said, I don't care if you haven't graduated high school. If you can program, I'm going to judge you based upon your programming skills. And so one of the things I think about in another pet peeve here is the way the educational system works. I'll I'll never forget, I was in, in a Catholic seventh grade at Iona Prep in New Rochelle, and they were on a 5.0 system. And I've been trained from a child to do as good as I can on tests and, you know, pre-med. And so I'm in a biology class with Brother Johnson, was his name, I forget, and I'm doing well. No, it was a 4.0, it was an A, 4.0 system. And I'm doing well, doing well, doing well. And then I flub an exam, you got a B plus in an exam, and I realized it's impossible for me to get back to 4.0 because I had something less than that. There's a gap-based system. Oh my God. And so I begged him and negotiated, if I got 100% on the next exam, would he erase my previous score, which I did and he did. But this is exactly the solution that gaming has, right? So in an educational system today, you start with 100% and every time you get something wrong, your grade goes down. In the video gaming world, you start with zero, and every time you do something right, your score goes up. And it really incentivizes exploration and higher performance, and that's what I want. I want us to gamify the educational system. I think it's going to be the convergence of AI and VR. In fact, this year, Dan, at Abundance 360 in, in March, one of the speakers in the Abundance module is a guy named Sal Khan. Do you know Sal? Do you know his oh, work? Oh, yeah, he's right here from Toronto. Yeah, the Khan Academy. Yeah, he created the Khan Academy. Yeah. I've done a lot of courses on Khan Academy. If you people don't know the Khan Academy, go and check it out. Sal built this originally for his kids. It became incredibly vibrant, and you can get a course on anything. And it's at-home education in the simplest and most profound fashion. I saw him at a interesting Silicon Valley event a few weeks back, we were talking about the future of education, and I said, you know, how deep is it going to become in AI? And he goes, it's going to be everything. We're going to see AI creating all of the lessons, the visual lessons, and it's, you know, two to five years of complete transformation. So we're going to be talking about that come March, because I think every student learns differently, but the teacher teaches everybody the same. Some people learn visually, some auditorily, some experientially, but there's a lot of change coming. Well, and the other thing is that the educational system has been asked more and more over 30 or 40 years to take on the role of parenting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, agreed. So I had a mother who, I'm not saying my parents were perfect, but they were perfect for me. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I had six siblings who would have a differing opinion, opinion. <laughs> about my parents. But my parents, first of all, I think they were both long quick starts and they were both ADD. So I was given some very, very simple rules and I was given enormous encouragement to be interested in what I was interested in. I got good grades, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty good at grasping things pretty quickly. And for my entire 12 years, we just had A, B, C, you know, we didn't have a numbering system. And the other thing is only in those days when I graduated in 1962, the year after you were born, there wasn't a big push on college or university. You know, I go back and check what was true. And about only 7% of high school graduates went to college in 1950. Wow. And there was a big push because of the GI Bill. Yes, yes, yes. The golden period of all universities and colleges in the United States was the six years after the Second World War, because they had these very world-experienced people coming in, and all they wanted to do was get an education that they would never have gotten, you know, mostly inner-city, blue-collar students, and they would have gone right back to the inner city, and all of a sudden they got a chance to get an education. The other thing is that it also had house loans as part of the GI Bill. I went through college, my entire expenses were paid because of the GI Bill that I had from two years in the Army. And so there wasn't this big push. But in my 12 years, I had one C. I had A's and B's. And I came home, and I was a little bit nervous because I had a C on my report card. And you know what my mother's response was to that? She said, what? I guess you weren't interested in that. And I said, no, I wasn't. She said, oh, yeah. yeah, we're interested in what we're interested in. The parents make a huge difference. But your mom was, you know, really spot on there. Because the question is, one thing for entrepreneurs listening, you know, at the end of the day, if there are a number of skills that are available to you to learn, and you're really good in skill one and two, but not good in three and four. The question is, where do you spend your time? Mm-hmm. Do you spend your time bringing three and four up to par? Or do you spend your time you know, doubling down on one and two? Yep. And the answer is you hire people to do three and four for you who are great at that. And, who not how? Yeah, who not how. And then you double down on what you're great at. Yeah. And so that doesn't exist in the schooling system. It is, again, everybody teaching to the test and everybody's come out of the factory the exact same way. Have you found schools that are exceptions to what you're saying? Um, No. I mean, we put our boys in what I consider the best school in LA, Santa Monica. I won't mention the name right now, but I've not been sufficiently impressed. Maybe we get our middle school and high school. I hope so. But I judge these schools. There's the socialization part. Great. But learning, I mean, I'm very heavy on math and science, right? And I think that's, you know, the lingua franca. I always laugh when I say lingua franca because the French didn't actually win that war. The U.S. is really lingua English. <laughs> that's why I'm opposed to the metric system. You know, I said, you know, this was created by the losers, you know. Uh, no, the metric system is important. It's, you know, I like yards. I like feet. I like oh, no, 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 like, no, no, like, no, no, no. Please, don't, please, don't, 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 don't like say it. those words. I don't like it. No, yeah, or kilograms, no. meters, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't like Okay. I don't like 100-meter home runs, <laughs> like 70-meter touchdown. No, 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 the scientist in me is rebelling on those ideas. No, that's okay, but it's a special language for that particular profession. You know, it shouldn't be imposed. Yeah. 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 Here, here's the thing. What if it's not possible to systemize education? I'm not saying that, that everything you're saying is wrong. I think the whole notion is that you can systemize education. 
it's like the healthcare system. There is no healthcare system. There's good hospitals, bad hospitals. In Canada, people say, well, how's the healthcare system? I said, which tier of the healthcare system? Mm. And they say, well, this government system. I said, that's tier one of the healthcare system. If you have the flu, it's good. If you have a broken bone, it's good. But then anything else, you have to go to tier two. And they say, well, what's tier two? I said, Air Canada to Houston, Air Canada to <laughs> Las Vegas, Air Canada to Orlando. And the government system only exists because anybody who has money and a desire for high-quality health care just goes to that country south of Canada. I don't know if you've looked at the map, but there's this other country south, <laughs> south of Canada. It's another province. And if you're a top medical star in Canada, you get a deal from an American health center. You know, they'll give you your own lab. They'll give you your own team. They'll buy your house for you. They'll give you, you know, the U.S. is a star system. You know, my sense is maybe the question here, is there any possibility of the health care system or education? There is. Well, who regulates it? Well, it's state and federal, right? And states have their own set of rules, and there are 50 different states, obviously, and then federal rules of the Department of Education. But school boards, school boards. And, school, and regional and local, yes. Uh, you asked me, have I seen a school that I thought was a good one? And there was one. It doesn't exist anymore. So Elon Musk has, at the time, five boys. I got those 10 kids now or something like that. And he had twins. And he's got a real interest in this. He's pushing the population single-handedly. Anyway, so He started a school adjacent to SpaceX where he had his twins and his triplets going called, it was either Ad Astra or Astra, and it started in third grade, but I went to go visit it when my kids were entering first to go see if it was an option for them. And I met the teacher who was running it, and the way he thought was brilliant, and it was purpose-driven learning, project-based learning, So I'll give you my favorite example that the kids were working at the time. They said, okay, there's a city on the edge of a lake, and that town on the edge of the lake has got a factory that employs half the people, and then there's a fishery that employs people, and we find out that the factory is polluting the the lake, and it's killing the fish, and you students represent the mayor and the town council, you students represent the factory and the factory owner, you're the fisheries and so forth debate, discuss, come up with your solutions, and so forth. And you're learning all kinds of subjects in that process. And I think that's where we need to be heading towards education. That's one part. I think what we're going to end up doing is splitting education in two parts. One is the socialization side, which is making good empathic humans. How do you lead? How do you communicate? How do you feel? All those things. And the second is learning. And I think we're going to see a reinvention of learning as AI and metaverse slash VR comes into existence, where I can go experience something versus read about something. I can go experience ancient Rome and talk to the emperor instead of reading about it in a book. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, and I'm detecting here what the central problem is, that you would like the system to be the system that would suit Peter Diamandis. Okay, well, I'm selfish in that regard. Well, me too. Me too. That I've said it's hard to create system agreement. When I've noticed, and this is a political statement, but there's one side of the political statement that actually would like to take all education away from the parents. 
Okay. They would like to take all education away from the parents. And the reason is that parents are the number one cause of all inequality on the planet. And the reason is that Peter Diamandis favors his two boys over all other children. Mm. You're not opposed to other children. You don't want them to be treated badly, but you want your two boys. And I would say most parents prefer their own children over other people's children. Mm. So what I've noticed in the last three years, 3.5 million more children are being homeschooled than through before that. You know what the number one educational system by results is in the United States? I don't. It's the Department of Defense educational system. It's the school on military bases. Ah, interesting. There's about 80,000 on bases in the United States. There's about 80,000 children. First of all, all the parents have to be involved in the school. Mm-hmm. You know, if your child's in the school, you have to be involved with the teachers. On average, all the teachers have at least a master's degree in what they're teaching. And if your kid is not performing, you don't go and talk to the superintendent. You talk to your commanding officer on why your kid isn't performing, because if your kid doesn't shape up, they have to go to the public school off base. Hmm. <laughs> And a lot of people re-up in the military until their kids are educated on the school bases. Interesting. So what do they have going for them in that system that the public school system can't possibly have? Rules? Guns? <laughs> what is it? I mean, well, yeah, they have guns. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm kidding yeah, about that. No, they do have guns, and they yeah. probably know how to use them. But the big thing is that somebody who is said to be in charge is actually in charge. Hmm. They have authority structure. Superintendents are not in charge. Superintendents are under the particular state government. Superintendents, they're under local government. Committees. The whole question is that if it's even possible to systematize. By the way, these are the two industries that have gotten more expensive in spite of technology. This is true. Education and healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else goes down. Everything else gets demonetized except these two industries. So you have to say, you know, why these two industries? First of all, they're highly unionized. Yes, true. Okay. But the other thing is that if you're, a let's say, a big center in Los Angeles, I'll use a healthcare system as an example. We're talking about education, but we're talking about systems, you know, that a big center... Like Cleveland Clinic, for example, which is one of the big centers in the United States. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're a public company and they're responsible for their quarterly report to Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So, what they do to get their stock price up is add on all sorts of unnecessary tests. That's pretty depressing. I'm not saying Cleveland Clinic is doing that, but they're being rewarded for extra services. Yes. Yeah. So my sense is that if you have a system, that system is not the overriding system. There's a bigger system that they're responsible for. An independent school, like the Catholic school system, has more autonomy. I grew up Catholic, and you know, when I moved to Ontario here, taxpayers pay for the public system and they pay for the Catholic system. And I said, what? What? You know, because I grew up American and the separation of church and state doesn't allow that. So in my hometown, the Catholic school is thriving, the public school is thriving, and Catholic parents pay for both systems. 
So I think there's a lot of complexity just by the word system. I think there's certain human activities that don't systematize well in terms of quality. Yeah. You know what I think about when I think about education, it is what happened with Google and libraries, right? No one asked permission for Google to materialize and it had a profound impact on libraries, right? And increased tremendous productivity for anybody who would use a library. I think what we're going to see in the next two to five years is a set of systems, technological systems, corporations that are going to come online that are going to provide such a superior education for your son or daughter that you just pull them out of school. You homeschool them in this variation where it's fun for the kid. They're learning a lot more. It's immersive. It's measurable. And what you end up with is the system collapsing under its own weight. You know, the the unionization and all of that. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting thing. And first of all, the public school system really has existed for about 150 years because there was no public school system till around the 1850s, 1860s. And there, and that widespread, it started in Massachusetts. And, mm-hmm. you know, it started to spread around the other states. And most of the schooling was really done by religions. Yes. Peter Zion says we'll reach 7 billion before we reach 9 billion. I agree. I mean, by the way, I've said this over and over again, we're going to peak at population and have a very rapid decline. I think we peaked, peaked in population. And the reason is it depended upon this great, great global trading system, which I think is now disintegrating. Mm. But, you know, when I was in first grade, a sister married Josephia, and she was about five foot two. Mm-hmm. And she said, the reason why you're learning this is that 12 years from now, when you graduate from high school, these are the skills you're going to be required when you get a job. And she was 100% accurate. She was 100% accurate. Yeah. There's no first grade teacher today that can make that prediction. That's exactly the point I make. The skills that are being taught, at least in middle school and high school, for the jobs you're going to get in the future are not being taught. We're not learning enough. We're living in a technological world. Like it or not, it is the case. And we need to have the skills. Every profession out there is going to have an AI co-pilot or AI partner that, you know, you're not going to become a physician without understanding how to partner with AI for diagnostics and so forth. It's a crazy world. Maybe we should wrap on this episode. By- yeah, this is a good one. I want to hit on two quick last things. One is college and in business school. So I think colleges have gotten ridiculous in terms of their expense and in terms of the time investment. And I think they have become, to a large degree, not relevant. So, you know, I've thought about, I've started two universities, Singular University and International Space University. But I think about, you know, it would be, really interesting to start a different kind of post-high school education, one in which it's aimed at two different things. One part of it is as an intern or as, what do you call it? What was Donald Trump's TV show? The Apprentice. As an apprentice, right? But then the other part of college, which you need, which is when you leave home and you're on your own and you learn how to deal, all of those elements of socialization, right? That's where I learned to defend myself against people throwing insults at me or how to, you know, befriend people or how to lead people. So I think we're going to need to change college 
I also think college, I've told this to my friends at MIT, I said, the idea of going to college for four years and that's it, I think when you join a university, it should be a lifelong affiliation. Like I'm an MIT student for life. Strategic coach. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got 40 people beyond 30 years. Yeah, yeah. I'm younger. My longest lived A360 members are only 10, 11 years, but... Yeah, but coach is exactly right. You know what you can't coach? You can't coach ambition and you can't coach motivation. You can't teach either ambition or motivation. You know, it's really interesting. I've coached, I added it up one time, we went back through the records and I've coached about six and a half thousand entrepreneurs where they were my workshops and we're 22,000 for the program with the other coaches. Amazing. And I talked to the other coaches. We have 16 other coaches. And I said, can you ever remember where any entrepreneur made a big deal about their education, their formal education? And they said, the only ones that we can actually remember are the academy graduates, West Point, Annapolis, Air Force Academy. And they were talking about, you know, how they forced and forced and forced. They gave you more work that you could do just to check out your decision making that if you were trying to ace any program, you were going to be bad in a military situation because you, mm-hmm. you couldn't say, okay, I can't do everything. What's the most important thing to do? Right. And all of them talked about that. And plus, in every case, they had five years of military duty as part because the education is free. And then they tax you five years of your life to serve afterwards. But aside from that, I can't remember of six and a half thousand. And it's only to tell a funny story, like you tell a funny story about how you got a medical degree. You know, entrepreneurs are completely indifferent about their formal education. Yeah. Most of them were already involved entrepreneurial before they were 10 years old in some way. They were out on the street selling something or they were creating something. One of the most fundamental things about education is certain schools is just the filter process of getting in. You talk about my education more than I do, but if you can say you've gone to MIT, okay, that's a brand you wear that says, oh, this person may be smart. And I've met some brilliant people and some not brilliant people. But afterwards, I'm clear, I use very little that I learned there other than what I learned outside of it. Well, buddy, listen, this has been a great conversation. I just want to say one thing about the university and college system and why it suddenly took a new course. And it was a Supreme Court decision in the, I think it was the 1960s. And it was Duke Power. And they had three candidates up for management promotion. And there were three of them. And one of them got selected. But one of the other ones was African-American. He said that the process that they went through was culturally prejudicial. And that went through the court system and it finally got the Supreme Court. And they ruled in favor of the plaintiff. Okay. And within two years, the Fortune 500 Corporation, because Duke at that time was, I don't know, they still may be, but Duke Power said, okay we're going to require four years of university to do the screening and we'll use a college degree as the screen. We're not going to do the screening because we don't want to end up in court. And then the SATs, the ACTs and all the other tests came in and they started educating to the tests that would get you first yes. of college so that you could get a 
job afterwards. And then it changed to college and university and said, you have to go to college and university to make a living. Then it's going to change the primary and secondary educational system too. So in New York City now, there are kids who are going to special schools so they can pass the tests that will get them into the best kindergarten and then the best primary school. Yeah, it's teaching to the test. Yeah. yeah, but you started off the podcast with, I think, what's the crucial issue? They're teaching to the test. Yeah. They're not teaching to the world. They're teaching to the test. Yeah. Anyway, that's yeah. that's all I got to say, and I have no strong feelings about this. Topic. I'll make one prediction and close out here, which is I think COVID was such a strong impulse to entrepreneurs that we're going to see born out of COVID, a whole new seat of educational companies. And it's only been a year and a bit since we're out now. And they'll take two, three, four, five years. But just like, you know, the 2008 crisis gave birth to so many companies, we're going to see healthcare companies, education companies, because they were both so disrupted. All right, buddy. Always a pleasure having these conversations with you. See you next time. It's a great pleasure for me. I go and ruminate about these for about two weeks <laughs> after we've had them. You know, I wish I had said this. I wish I had said that. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have them again. But we're gentle with each other. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you.